Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We want to encourage everyone to remember uh, the Single Moms Car Care Clinic, June the 4th. We need you uh, to be a part of the outreach. Think of a single mother that lives on your street, or you work with them, or you know them, and it would be of a great help to them. And perhaps it's even someone that, that they have brought their kids to vacation Bible school in the past. We've reached out to them in other ways in the past. And we want to simply make a godly influence and impact in their life. And so pick up the cards that will tell them uh, what they need to know in order to make that reservation for themselves on that June the 4th date. We are thankful that Elias is back after being on a short campaign this past week. Uh, we look forward to hearing. Read the bulletin and we'll give you some updates of the work there. He went up north and worked with the Hispanic congregation up north for a few days. And we're thankful that he came back late last night and had a great trip. And we look forward to hearing the good of that. A biblical study of suicide. I was introduced to suicide at a young age. Growing up in the country, we knew our neighbors well. Rode the bicycle up and down the dirt road and would stop almost every afternoon and sit on the front porch or three or four of our closest neighbors. One particular couple were the sweetest couple. They'd always swing with us on their front porch as we'd sit and visit and sometime even watch an episode of something after school on their TV set and in the, their living room. Oftentimes we'd go out with them as they worked in their garden. We'd eat their bowl of ice cream and just felt like one of their kids. And one Sunday morning, I heard five shots. Didn't think anything about it growing up in the country. Just thought a coon or a fox or a possum was in someone's chicken's. But then dad came in about 15 minutes later and told us that our neighbors were deceased. You see, that morning, the small church of Christ that they were attending would begin their gospel meeting. Everything in their kitchen was just as it should have been. All of the dishes that she was making, they were all prepared. Breakfast was set on the table. It's as if the moment that he woke up, something went wrong. The best we can guess is that he had flashbacks from time to time from being in World War II. And apparently this particular flashback, flashback carried him to the breaking point. To where he acted out things in war that he would never have done. In a sober mind. You see, all my life I've heard individuals say things about suicide that I don't believe. All of my life I've heard people quote the Bible about suicide and come to find out what they quote is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. How many times have we heard someone say, we well, you know the Bible says everybody that commits suicide is condemned to hell. Where is that? Where's the word suicide in the Bible? Where is that teaching in the scriptures? What about the individual who is a baptized believer in the Lord and does begin the act of suicide and immediately regrets it and calls out for help and asks God to forgive them of their sins, but yet it's too late for their life to be saved? Is God merciful? 
And is he gracious to forgive all sins? Some have said in all their quotes about what the Bible says, the Bible says suicide is the unpardonable sin. No, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. If there's even an opportunity, suicide can be forgiven according to the scriptures because blasphemy is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. This evening, I do not want to bring pain and emotion into individuals' lives with this topic that's not necessary. All of us here, and no matter what congregation we would be standing in, we could say this. All of us here have been touched by suicide. We would not do this, but right now, if we said every family here who has been touched by suicide, raise your hand, and probably many of us would be shocked at the number of hands that would rise. If we said, how many of you have lost a close friend? You see, the reality is the reason we need to address this topic is because it is a problem in society, not in 2011. It's been a problem throughout mankind's journey. And so it's a problem that we know that everything that Satan ushers us and the world challenges us with, we know that God has a solution. And so we want to study tonight to see what is God's answer to this problem. But also tonight, we do want to try to bring some clarity to a topic that more oftentimes than not, God is misrepresented and the Bible is misquoted on this particular topic. Now, I also don't mind telling you, I wish I had more clarity on this topic. But the reality is none of us here will be the final judge. And so if our idea is we want to be able to pronounce clearly whether or not an individual that's committed suicide is in heaven or in hell... That's never our position to judge to begin with. The most important thing that we will do with this topic tonight is to challenge all of us with the burdens in life that we carry to make righteous decisions. And second, to realize that we really can change someone's future, their life on this earth and perhaps their eternity, if we don't mind getting involved in their life and bearing burdens with them. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So how big is this problem? It's pretty big. 1.3% of all deaths in the U.S. are suicides. On average, that's about one suicide every 17 minutes. Now I want you to listen carefully to this because... Most of you are going to say, I had no idea that this is true. Let's face it, many in this audience right now are saying, I hope this group of young people are really listening. Well, I do too. But you know who really needs to be listening? White males. By far the highest group of suicide. You know who really needs to be listening? White males that are 65 years and older, the highest among all groups whenever they're broken down based on gender and race. And you know who's the highest of all? 
by far. It's not close. White males, 85 years of age and older. You see, we're talking about something that crosses the genders. It crosses the age brackets. It crosses the economical and social boundaries. We're talking about a problem that that weighs heavy and individuals struggle to figure out what to do with the situation that they're in. The third leading cause of death for young people aged 15 to 24, first is accidents, second is homicide, but third is suicide. The second leading cause of death among college students is suicide. More people die from suicide each year in America than from homicide. Males are much more likely to die from suicide than females. Four males will die to every one female, but females will attempt suicide almost as often as males. It's just they're much, much less likely to succeed. When we consider... The ramifications are so permanent. Oftentimes, problems that are so temporary, chronic pain, financial upheaval, crime, rejection, loneliness, hopelessness, feeling trapped, These are things that can be heavy. And the truth is, there are things that can be heavier than one person can bear. But that's why we need our relationship with God to be strong. And to realize even in the best of days, we can't carry our own burdens. And that's why we need a church family. You know, this year, especially the last part of the year, you're going to hear a lot of emphasis about shepherding. And about how let's make sure that no one is invisible. Look, it's God's plan that we have a church family. It's God's plan that we lean upon each other. It has never been God's plan that we are saved to walk alone. But we are saved so that we can share our struggles and our burdens. And we can lean upon one another. The word suicide in Latin comes from two parts. The sua leans, it, it is from oneself. And the sada is from to kill. So obviously suicide is to kill oneself. But that is quite a difference. And do not confuse it with an individual who is a martyr. You see, the aim of suicide is to take one's life. It's death. The aim of a martyr is to be faithful no matter what the cost. The aim of a soldier is to be loyal in service to their country, no matter what the cost. The aim of a fireman or a policeman is very, very different from that that has death as their motive. In other words, I would challenge you, so as all of us to place a value on life, I would challenge you not to make statements, even though you might mean it innocently. But, but you see a fireman rush into a building to, to save someone, and someone might say, he was on a suicide mission. No, 
don't tag him with that. He was on a mission to save a life and willing to risk all. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ spoke about that. He said, a greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for his friend. We should never, never promote suicide as something that is honorable and something that is a choice, that is wise, a way to escape a problem. Whereas on the other hand, a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ is to be honored. An officer that gives his life to protect his community or a soldier that dies for the cause of freedom is an entirely different situation of honor and of loyalty. Let's take a few minutes. We said we want to give a biblical study. So let's take a few minutes and let's look at either suicides or what some think are suicides in the Word of God to make sure that we at least have accomplished that tonight so that we can say when we're talking with someone, yes, I've read the passages in the Scripture where individuals have have committed suicide. Abimelech, the son of Gideon, was a man who really created quite an uproar whenever he had murdered 70 of his own brethren. And because of this uproar, it turned on him and he began fighting and he ran under a tower. And in Judges, the ninth chapter, and in verse 52, we see this him running under the tower. He was going to set it on fire. And in 53, a woman dropped a millstone upon his head and crushed his skull. In 54, he called out quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me lest men say of me a woman killed him so this young man thrust him through and he died now we can debate whether or not that was suicide or not it wasn't by his own hand but it was by his own command and here was a man who literally was concerned about what others would think about him in his death he was probably going to die anyway soon but he wanted to make sure that he inflicted the, the fatal blow by some other means than by the woman dropping the stone on his head. When we look at the story of Samson in Judges, the 16th chapter, I'll go ahead and tell you that this is one that some individuals, as they're doing a study of suicide, they love to, to tag Samson as a suicide case. I'm only bringing it out uh, to tell you that I really don't think that it is a, st- a study of suicide. But because it's so oftentimes mentioned, I wanted to make sure we mention it here. So you can study through and you can draw your conclusion with it. You remember the story of Samson. He was a judge and one of the great purposes of a judge was to fight the enemy. This was before kings were designated to lead over Israel. And so the Philistines were the enemy and God perhaps gave him more ability with his unmanly strength to to be able to fight the enemy than probably any other judge that has ever been given. But yet because of his immorality, he squandered the opportunities to do great things against the enemy and for the cause of God. And so finally toward the end of his book, 
His hair's been cut. His strength has been taken away. His eyes have been augured out. He's standing with bronze fetters. And literally, a little boy is leading this, what was a hulk of a man who literally could put city gates upon his shoulders that would have weighed thousands of pounds and walked miles with them. Now, a little boy is leading him around. And they're making sport of him. And so it's in this setting in Judges, the 16th chapter and 28, he calls out to God and he asks him to remember him and strengthen him. And then he asks the boy where to take him between the two middle pillars in verse 29. And in 30, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords of all the people that were with it. In it, So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all of his father's household came down and he took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and uh, Eshtol in the tomb of his father uh, Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. What do we see here? We see a man who had been zapped of his supernatural strength until he prayed for the opportunity to slay thousands of Philistines at that moment. God was the one that gave him that strength. I do not believe God would give him the supernatural strength so that he could commit suicide. But he was fulfilling the mission that God gave him from his birth to fight and conquer the Philistines. And you see, in that even though this might surprise us, which would be a good lesson for us to learn about the next time we're so quickly to judge someone eternally, in his death, are you surprised to know that he is listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews the 11th chapter? Even though throughout his life he lived a very ungodly life, at the end he surrendered his life spiritually and physically to the cause of the Lord. King Saul is another example. King Saul in 1 Samuel, the 31st chapter in verse 2, was surrounded at the end of his life by the Philistines. They had wounded him severely and he cries out to his armor bearer in verse 4, Saul said to him, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. See, that's what he was wanting to, to escape. And he says, but his armor bearer would not. See, this was different from Abimelech. His armor bearer wouldn't do it. And he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Here's a man who's feeling hopeless. He's afraid of being further abused. And so in this situation of feeling hopeless, he takes his life. Here's an armor bearer. Would he have taken his life as Saul would not have taken his life? I guess many of us would say, I would think that he wouldn't. But Saul did take his life. And the armor bearer also took his life following the lead of Saul. Ahithophel is mentioned in 2 Samuel, the 17th chapter and 23. We know that Saul, his armor bearer, bearer, and Ahithophel definitely committed suicide. You see, he was considered 
probably one of the greatest politicians of the Old Testament. It's, a, it's an amazing story to study his life. And, and he had been so loyal and good to David, but then he decided to go with Absalom when Absalom was rising up against his father. And it looked as he was going to do well there, but then Absalom decided not to take his advice. And when he would not take his advice, that left him in what we would call a catch-22. He no longer could stand with Absalom, and now he couldn't go back and stand with David. And so what we read in 2 Samuel 17 and 23, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. In 1 Kings, the 16th chapter, we read of Zimri. He was a king, if you want to call him that, that reigned for seven days. You see, as a soldier, he went in and killed King Elah, king of Israel. And he pronounced himself king and began to reign for those seven days. But the people appointed another man who was leader of the army as king. And so within seven days, the army now is rising up against him... And he too is feeling trapped and, and helpless. And so in 1 Kings 16 and 18, it says that it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam and his sins which he had committed to make Israel sin. And probably the most referred to suicide in the Bible is in the New Testament and it's the suicide of Judas. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, in verse 3, we see him being referred to as the betrayer. And he, it says in 23, he was remorseful. Matthew 27, 23, uh, verse 3, he was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is this to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. Now we're not to the application part of the lesson yet tonight, but can I go ahead and note here, how would this have turned out differently if these men would have responded to him differently? Here's a man that is totally distraught. Here's a man that regrets 100% what he has done. And here are men that know he is regretting it. And they do nothing. They do nothing. We were not saved to walk this way alone. Let it never be that anyone in this congregation could say, nobody did anything to help me. I'd like for you to look with me for three passages here. Principles that I believe we'd all be wise to consider about our life and when problems come and what should we do and what should we know and what must we keep in mind so far as godly principles. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, We read in verse 19 and 20 about our body. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 
For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The context here is about how we conduct our life, of course, within our body as it pertains to morality. He's urging us to not be sexually immoral. But yet the principle is one that we all must remember. When we become children of God, the blessing is not only do we have a close relationship with God, adopted into His family, but now our body belongs to Him. And so we don't have, we don't have the opportunity or the righteous blessing, if you will, to be able to say, it's my body, I'll do with it what I want. It's my life, I could take it if I want. No. When we become children of God, it's not our body anymore. It's not our life anymore. We have hid our life in Christ Jesus, as Colossians 3 teaches. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Look with me, if you will, in Romans, the 14th chapter. Turn back just a few pages. Another passage that, of course, is not said or stated in this particular topic of what we're discussing tonight, but the principle here is so important as we apply it. In Romans, the 14th chapter, look at verse 7 and 8. Romans 14, 7 and 8. But none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Some that would contemplate suicide would say, Others would be better off without me. The pain that is left behind for a lifetime is a reminder that no one lives to themselves and no one dies to themselves. Verse 8 For we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, We are the Lord's. Friends, our life and our death should bring glory to God. It's not our body. It's not our life. And the reality is, it's not even our choice of when to die. Whether by life or by death, we remain in the hands of God. Look, if you will, to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10. It's the passage where he's going to talk about being created in this particular time. He's not talking about physically, although we know that God did create us physically. Here, when he talks about creation, he's talking about the Lord creating us spiritually. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'd like to show you two other passages. And I'd like for you to think carefully about this. There is something very unnatural when someone wants to hurt themselves. Something is not healthy. Something is not emotionally sound. Something is going awry. I'm not saying in every case the person is is not responsible. If you're reading into that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply revealing to you biblical facts. We'll go to a couple of passages here and see 
God teaches us that the basic rule of thumb, the basic righteous principle is healthy people do not want to hurt themselves. Probably from the time that you can remember swimming, no one had to teach you to fight to come up when someone was dunking you under the water. Why? Because healthy people have a will to live. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the 13th chapter. In Romans, the 13th chapter, although suicide is not mentioned here, murder is. And notice in Romans 13 and verse 9, he says, For the commandments, you should not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. Do you see the standard that Jesus is giving here? Jesus gave us the second greatest commandment, quoting from the old law, but nevertheless, Jesus gave it to us. Paul's referring to it here. And listen, Paul says, we're not going to commit adultery because that hurts a neighbor. We're not going to murder because that hurts a neighbor. And then you say, okay, why are we not going to do this? He says, because we're going to love our neighbor and love does no harm. In the very next verse, he says, he says, we're going to love our neighbor. How? As yourself. In other words, that's the standard that's supposed to be natural. We all would understand. Do you realize that it is not directly taught in the scriptures that we are to love ourselves every time? It's indirectly taught because that's supposed to come natural. We should naturally love ourselves, and so therefore we wouldn't do things against a neighbor that we would not do to ourselves. And so someone says, you know what? I would harm myself, I would cut myself, I would commit suicide. Those are serious cries. There's something broken. There's something unhealthy. There is something that violates the very nature that God has created us to be. Look in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he's going to teach husbands how they are to love their wives. And you probably already remember why we're going here now that we've just left that other passage for this. This is just another example of, of our love for ourself is, is a righteous principle that, that is just natural. In Ephesians 5 and 28, he's saying, so husbands ought to love their own wives as how? Their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You see, he's given a righteous rule of thumb. The righteous rule of thumb is we don't hurt ourselves. But yet, it happens. And why does it happen? It happens because something is awry. Something is amiss. Something is not what it should be. I'd like for you to either turn in your Bibles or look at this slide. Hebrews, the second chapter, is a passage that we must cling to. Because as we pointed out in the beginning... Oftentimes, life is not going to go as we expected. And what are we going to do? Therefore, in all things, this is talking about Jesus. He had to be made like his brethren. Why? 
In other words, he's going to know what it is when things aren't going the way they should go. Do you think he felt in despair? Do you think he ever felt in agony? Can you picture him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you see what he did? Do you see that he didn't give up? Do you see that he turned to the Lord? Do you see that he left it God's will be done and he didn't take the measures into his own hands? And so he knows how it feels. And so it says that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. Now notice the present tense here. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Yes, we're going to go through times of temptation where we say, I don't like life right now. Yes, we're going to go through times where we'd say, I'd rather die than live right now. But it's in those times that we must remember the one who is able to aid us. He has been in our shoes. He can understand our suffering. And there is nowhere else to go but to the Lord. Tonight, we don't have time to develop this. If you're taking notes, let me just quickly show you four slides, and we won't be able to read them, but show you individuals who you and I, we tend to think of these men as being very righteous individuals. But you know that all of them stated they wanted to die? For example, Job. We see the first two chapters, how he stood so strong in all of the losses. But the last phrase in the second chapter is, his grief was very heavy. And you know what he says at the beginning of the third chapter? He says, cursed is the day that I was born. And reading on down in verse 13, he says, I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. In other words, he says, I want to be dead. I don't want to be suffering what I suffer. But by the end of the book, what do we see? We see a man who has walked with God in the valley of his shadow of death and he's able to say that I've seen things far too wonderful for me to understand. Jonah is a man who clearly stated in the fourth chapter, it's better for me to die than to live. And then later he even says, he wished death for himself. It's better for me to die than to live. And you know what? This one is never answered in the scriptures. It makes us wonder because his anger is because he doesn't like people. And an interesting Job, he didn't want to live because his burdens were so heavy and his losses were so great. Jonah doesn't want to live because the enemy is being blessed by the grace of God and he doesn't like the enemy being blessed. And it doesn't tell us how it ends up for Jonah. Almost as if to say, here's the story, how are you going to feel about your enemies? Are you going to let your enemies destroy your will to live? And then Elijah... Remember, it is one of the greats. We can mention several reasons he's mentioned as one of the greats, but yet he literally prayed in 1 Kings 19 that he would die. And instead, God would use him to anoint the next king and to find Elisha to be, he could be a mentor for him. God had more for him to do. And you know what's interesting? This was the time in his life where he declared himself to be alone. He was the only one that would not bow a knee to Baal. And you know what God showed him in his time of deep despair? He showed him 7,000 people that were standing with God and they wouldn't bow a knee either. Friends, when we think that we're all alone and nobody else knows and nobody else could understand, I assure you that's a tool of Satan to make us feel isolated. 
We were not saved to walk this way alone. It is isolation that moves us into deep despair. And then finally, Paul's example in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, he despaired for life. In 2 Corinthians 2, he, and, and also in chapter 5, he received blessings from the coming of Titus. Titus brought him such great comfort. In 2 Corinthians 12, we read that the Lord would not remove the thorn, but he gave him the strength to endure the thorn. And so tonight, I'd like for you in your mind's eye, to go back to a story that perhaps you know pretty well. Do you remember when the earthquake and the jail cells were open and the Philippian jailer drew his sword and he was about to commit suicide? And Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. What better motto for a church family than to be able to say to each other, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. There's a few things we know for sure. There's going to be burdens that seem unbearable alone. There's going to be embarrassments that seem unbearable alone. There's going to be sin. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be pain. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be so many things that life is going to bring us individually, but yet as a church family that seems unbearable alone. And the truth is, it is. But do yourself no harm, for we are all here. So what I learned today, I learned that suicide isn't natural. And I also learned it's very selfish. It creates such deep pain for as long as your loved ones live. I learned that many good people have preferred to die, but they made the choice to continue as God wills. I've learned, let's not forget to be here for those that are hurting. We might be able to prevent a suicide. You know, there's a lot of people that argue today that the church is irrelevant. You can be spiritual, you can be close to God, but you don't need a church. If we do church right, we prove them wrong. God's the one that ordained religion. I don't say this to be against it. I'm simply reminding you that as church, as God's family, we are so much more than our religion. 
perhaps only eternity could tell how many people would have otherwise been broken but because of a loving church family they were spared because we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ tonight there's probably not anybody here that could say they know what you're going through we don't There's a whole house full of people here that could say, we hurt with you and we're willing to walk with you. If you could just let us know, we'd love to do that. If your life's not right with God, it's going to make the burdens worse. It's going to leave you nowhere to turn. Being right with God is the first step to life. If you need to be immersed into Christ or restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.